Hello, can you hear me? Success, good first hurdle, good job. Um, so, the, I just want to say hi, I'm Tom. Uh, what a great time of worship we had this morning. It was fantastic to be in the house of the Lord and worshipping his name with, uh, with spirit and truth this morning. Um, the first thing I need is a volunteer, but um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to make a selective volunteer. So, James Fry, can you come and be my volunteer, please? So we're, we're going to be looking today at the children of promise. Um, so I have got God's promises. As you can see, my artwork is fantastic. Um, but what I want James to do is I want him to fold this up as much as he can into as small a fold as he can. So whilst he's doing that, we're, we just continue. So uh, today we are looking at Genesis 22, if you did want to turn there to get yourself prepared, and it involves a couple of characters called Abraham and Isaac. So I'm going to catch us up just to recap us on who these people are. So in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, God reveals himself to a chap called I, um, to Abraham. Sorry, Abraham is a heathen, um, but God makes a covenant with him. He chooses him for a plan that God has. At this point, Abraham is 75 years old, and God asks him to travel to a new land, and Abraham travels to a new land. God makes a promise to him to say um, to Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation, and that from his seed, all the families of the world will be blessed. Abraham, at this point, he has no children, so he has no seed. Then God expands this promise in Genesis 15, verses 4 to 5. He says to Abraham that his descendants will be more than the stars of the sky. And Abraham, at this point, it says he believes God. He has faith that what God is saying is going to be true. And it is counted to him at this point as righteousness. He still has no children. Then in Genesis 16, which is 10 years after Abraham has met God, um, he's in this new land. He has his wife, Sarah, and him. They've been trying to have a child. And up until this point, they've had no success. So they take the plan into their own hands. So Sarah suggests that Abraham uses her servant girl, Hagar, to have a child. Abraham and Hagar then produce a child which is called Ishmael. But this child is not the child of promise. This child is not God's plan. This child is Abraham trying to force the plan of God. There's something very interested in this, interesting in this about Abraham trying to force God's plan. And sometimes we can do that. We can try and force God's plan. We can try and rush it ahead of God's timing. But that's a whole other preach, so I'll let someone else do that one. God then comes through for Abraham, who at this point is 100 years old. So if we remember, God met Abraham when he was 75. He's now 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old. And he says to them, I have a promise for you. There is a promised child that you are going to call Isaac. And we see that in Genesis 17, verses 15 to 21. But even in that, God says he will bless Ishmael. So don't feel like Ishmael's getting a bad rap. God says he will look after him, but he isn't the child of promise. Isaac is. So in God's grace, he still looks after Ishmael. Okay, how you doing? I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. 
He's made a very small piece of paper for me there. So round of applause, round of applause. We then get to Genesis 22, and that's where we're going to read from today. The words should come up on the screen for you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can read along with that. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering no one uh, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on, on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went out and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand this is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Bathsheba, and Abraham lived at Bathsheba. What an incredible story. What an incredible story. Genesis 22 reveals so much to us. We see the faith that Abraham has in God. We, we spoke about at the beginning of this what Abraham has been through, the journey that he's been through with God. And he had faith in God at this point. It's a prophetic picture as well of something that's to come. 
This story in Genesis 22 is filled with Jesus. And this story is fulfilled by Jesus. So let us break down what we're seeing here and just discuss some of the similarities that we can see in this passage to what Jesus actually did. There's numerous, so little game for you. Try and spot and count how many similarities you see in Jesus as we go along. So verse 1, we see God is testing Abraham. So testing can be used to draw out the nature of something. So we see here that God is testing Abraham to see what his faith is like. Will he do this act that he's asking Abraham to do? And we can be tested, and the nature of us can draw out what is actually inside of us by those tests. So when you're under pressure, when you're dealing with tough things, when you're dealing with things that cause you harm and discomfort, the way that you react to them says something about your nature, says something about what is in your heart, says something about your inner person, because in those times of pressure, that is when it comes out. It's easy to be nice and easy to smile when life is going well. What about when we're under pressure? We may go through testing times or events, and this will display our true nature in the way that we respond. I wonder what your under-pressure response is. I know mine isn't always the best, I'll be honest, and mine isn't always faith-filled, but we see here Abraham shows faith. God calls him, and he says, here I am. These words, it's really interesting, here I am. Why is Abraham saying to God, here I am? Is he doing hide-and-seek with God? Is he hiding under a rock or behind a tree? Or, or, or does God not know where he is? Why does he say, here I am? Like, surprise, I'm here. Yeah, I was just over here. No, he says, here I am. This response is telling of the nature of Abraham, what is in his heart. This response shows that he is eager and attentive to the voice of God. He is eager and attentive to hear from God. Are we eager and attentive when God calls us? Do we go, yes, God, here I am. Here I am, speak to me. So, when I was thinking about this, a great analogy of this is, do we act eagerly when God calls us? How do we act when other people call us? So, um, as an example, my children are quite small. I've got a seven and a four-year-old. And when I say to them, can you just do this for me? They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they do other stuff, or they delay it, or they... Don't eagerly anticipate and eagerly come and do what I have asked them to do. So there's a, there's a phrase for this. This is called passive disobedience. When God calls us, when we go, yes, God, I will do it, but then we do other stuff, we delay it, we don't action it, we don't attentively and eagerly come to God. This is called passive disobedience. So we need to be careful that we're not showing God that other things are more important than him in that moment, 
in those times when he is calling us, in those times when he's reaching out to us, let's not be caught in passive disobedience. So verse 2, it talks about Isaac being called the only son. But is Isaac the only son? We learned earlier that there was Ishmael, wasn't there? Ishmael was the son of Abraham as well. But I think what this is doing is it's a nod to Jesus being the only begotten son. Isaac is the son of promise, like Jesus is the promised son. He's not the only son of Abraham, but in this context, it is a nod to Jesus John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's interesting as well what um, God is asking Abraham to do. He's asking him to sacrifice his only son. Is God undoing the promise that he has given to Abraham? It's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? He's, God's saying, I'm promising you the blessings through your son. All the nations of the world will be blessed through your son. But then he's saying, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. It seems like God's breaking his promise or he's undoing his promise. It's a really interesting contradiction, but we see that God isn't. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. He also says, go to the land of Moriah. This location is very interesting. Our next slide should show us an image of the land of Moriah. So the land of Moriah is actually Jerusalem. So Isaac is going to be sacrificed on the mount in Moriah, which is where the temple's built. So Isaac climbed the same hill that Jesus is then going to climb to be the sacrifice for us. It's incredible. Verse 3, it continues with Abraham quickly obeying. He takes two young men with him. Two, two, interesting. So there's Isaac and two men. Jesus had two men next to him when he was on the cross. Verses 4 and 5, it takes three days to travel to that place. So from God saying, take your son, sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah, it takes three days to travel to that place. Isaac at this point is as good as dead. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Do you see there's lots of little nuggets here that are showing similarities that are pointing towards Jesus. Abraham says to his men, we will go up there, but we will come back. He doesn't say, I will come back. He says, we will come back to his men. So there's a nod there of Isaac and Abraham coming back together. So Isaac is going to be sacrificed, but they will come back. So there's a nod there to the resurrection. Abraham has faith in God that his promise will be kept through Isaac. He is fully committed to the action God has asked him, committed in his faith of God 
but he fully believes that God would do something incredible, that his promise will not fail, that his promise will still happen through Isaac. Hebrews tells us what Abraham was thinking. So in Hebrews eleven seventeen um, to 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. It's all a hint towards Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 6, Isaac carries the wood up the mountain. He has the wood put on him for the sacrifice. Jesus had to carry his cross up the mountain. On the same hill, Jesus carried his wood as Isaac. Genesis 22 is a story of a father and a son climbing that same hill. The father holds the fire and the knife. The Bible refers to fire as judgment and the knife, which equals death and the spilling of blood. Because it is the blood that atones for our sin, there has to be a sacrifice to deal with the judgment and the death to cover our sins. God will provide for himself the lamb, verses 7 and 8 it says. Interestingly, the King James Version says, God will provide himself a lamb. This is strongly linked to verse 14. It's a nod to Jesus, Jesus being the sacrificial lamb for us. John the Baptist says, when seeing Jesus in John 1, 29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we're at verse 9. What's your count? How many similarities have you seen yet of Jesus? Hold that in your mind. Hold that in your mind. Isaac is not a small child, by the way. So we get, we get told this in uh, Sunday school, and it's certainly something that I, I thought. The more I've looked into this, it appears that Isaac isn't a small child, like a 10-year-old or even a 7-year-old, which some, some versions say. He's probably, at this point, a young adult. So some of the Jewish traditions and the rabbis, they think that Isaac was probably 33 years old to 37 years old. So that's in the Jewish tradition. But I think probably Isaac, from my research, is a young man at this point, maybe 20, maybe 25. And we saw earlier that his father was 100 years old. It's interesting how Isaac lets his father bind him. Lets his father bind him. He could fight him off. He is willing and complies to the mission of God, to the word of God, to what God has said is going to happen. Isaac complies. We then get to verse 10 and 12. Abraham raises the knife. Do you feel the drama at this point? He raises the knife to kill his son, to kill the promise, to just remove everything that God has done. Then the angel of the Lord appears and he stops Abraham at this moment. 
Now, the Hebrew word for angel is malach, and it can be translated as angel or messenger. So here we have the messenger of Yahweh. The messenger speaks both for God and as God, which is really interesting. If we look at what he says, he says, You fear God, and you have not withheld your son from me. So he speaks both of God and of me. So he stands in that place as a pre-incarnate Jesus. Whenever we see this term angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate Jesus. He's speaking as God, but he is also saying of God. So it's got a picture there of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So verse 13, we see that there is a substitution for Isaac. Substitution for Isaac. A lamb, uh, sorry, a ram is provided instead of the son. A ram is to be used as the burnt offering to be the sacrificial ram for that moment. It's interesting, why not a lamb? Why a ram? And I think maybe because the lamb hasn't been sent yet. The Lamb of God hasn't been sent into the world yet to be the sacrifice. Jesus is the true Lamb. He stands in our place so we can, take, can be taken off the altar and he can be placed on there instead. Jesus is provided for us as the sacrifice. We see in verse 14, this is why this is prophetic, this story. It says, the Lord will provide, in verse 14. This is Moses writing down this story 400 years later. And he says, even to this day, even to this day, the Lord will provide. So it's not the Lord provided at that moment, it is the Lord will provide. It's a nod to the future provision of Jesus So there's so much that points to Jesus in this story. My count is up to about 10 or or 11 now, maybe 12 things, just in those 14 verses. Jesus is the ultimate provision. Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, we say that often. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He gives us the thing that we really need, which is Jesus to stand in our place, taking on the wrath of God, carrying our burden and our sins so we can have life and life in fullness. We can be reconciled to God and provided a place in glory with our Saviour for eternity, entering into God's eternal rest. I'd love eternal rest. I'm looking forward to eternal rest. God did what he didn't ask Abraham to do or didn't let Abraham do. God did it. God slew his son so we can have life. This story points towards the faith in God that Abraham had and the total trust we can have in God to fulfill his promises in us. 
Abraham took the time to know God. He was attentive to his relationship with God. He sprung into action and believed God. Even in a situation that looked impossible, he believed God. He didn't make excuses. He didn't let trials overcome him or get distracted by what the world can give him. He trusted. Now, C.S. Lewis... We all know him from Narnia, but he, he was also a great lover of God. He, he wrote something that was just so profound, and I just wanted to read this to you. If we consider, uh, consider the, unbellishing, um, sorry, the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the gospel... It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday offered by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do we trust the promises of God, the promises that he has for us? Do we even know what these promises are? And are we taking the time to teach our minds and our souls these promises that God has for us? Jesus says to us in Matthew 22:37, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind." We need to take time to teach these promises to us that we find in the word of God. What when we know the promises of God, it's like the piece of paper that we had earlier. We can carry it around in our pocket. And we can have access to it when we face things that are going to knock us, when things are going to bash against us. We can call up the promises of God. It can trigger something in our soul to trust in God so we can face the trials, the difficulties, the challenges that the world has for us, the lies that might be spread or or placed against us. We can call up the promises of God and it keeps our eyes fixed on the truth. It can also be a defense in our time of trouble. So we can take the promises of God and we can open them up. Thank you for folding this up, James. And we can take the promises of God and we can use it to bring defense, to bring rest to bring truth into our life, and he can stand in front of us as a shield. So here are some of the promises of God that he has for us. It says in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Do we believe that promise, church? Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you believe that, church? I don't hear you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you believe that, church? Yes. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that, church? Thank you. There are so many promises written in his scripture, and we should be taking these promises and writing them on our souls, writing them on our minds, and calling them up in our times of trouble, but calling them up in praise. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You can have access to these promises if you are a friend of Jesus. If you love him and follow his commands, you can have access. Come to him and share your life. Make God the center of everything that you do. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, said, Blessed is the man to whom nothing is too small for God. Blessed is the man for who nothing is too small for God. Do you bring everything to God? Or do you think, oh, God won't be bothered with that? Or, no, I'll just deal with this, it's fine, I'll struggle along. Do you bring your all to God? Spurgeon continues to say, the promises of God are to the believer an inexhaustible mine of wealth. Happy is it for him if he knows how to search out their secret vein and enrich himself with their treasure. We should be digging into the promises that God has for us. And this is the greatest promise we can have, that Jesus is enough, that Jehovah Jireh provided a way for us to be redeemed to God, that our mistakes, our failings, our sins can be forgiven forever, that what Genesis 22 foreshadowed and Jesus fulfilled can be received by faith. We share in the promises that Abraham had and of Isaac. If you have faith in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed today. Galatians 3, 7-9 says, understand, as, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foretold that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You can be a blessing to your communities. You can be a blessing to your workplace. You can be a blessing to your school. You can be a blessing in your world, in your families, in your life. Because we stand in the promise that was given to Abraham that through his seed... Jesus being the seed and us being born in Jesus, we can be a blessing to this world. We are counted as the stars or the sand of the seashore. But first, before we can do this, we need to take on the promises and believe the greatest promise. Many of us today have already done that. We believe the promise that Jesus is enough. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can I invite the band back, please? Yeah. So God is with us. Jesus is the Lamb. If you have been stirred by anything that we've covered today, please come forward for prayer. We will have prayer at the sides there. We have a team who can pray with you to our right, your left. If you feel like God's saying to you, are you attentive to his relationship with him? Come and get prayer if you feel you need more of that. If you feel like you're in passive disobedience, come this morning and get prayer. And if you don't know God today, make today the day that you know him. If you haven't surrendered to his call, I implore you to do it. Stop playing with mud pies in the slums and come to the beach. Come to the beach. He is the greatest thing that you can have in this life. The last thing I'll say is Charles Spurgeon puts it in this way. Man cannot please God without bringing to himself a great amount of happiness. For if any man pleases God, it is because God accepts him as a son, gives him the blessing of adoption. He pours upon him his bounties of grace, makes him a blessed man in this life and ensures him a crown of everlasting life, which he shall wear and which shall shine with unfading luster. I'll just pray. Lord God, we do come before you and we just thank you for your riches that you pour upon us. We thank you for your promises that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that we can know you and love you, that your greatest promise is that Christ is enough, that we can come and be and live with Christ and have eternity with you. I just pray, Lord, that you stir our hearts and show us more of you, that you help us write your promises on our hearts and we can stand as Abraham did as men and women of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.